This is the Moira Pentecostal Church Podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And I'm just going to set the stage for the, the heart of the message at the beginning part here. Second Chronicles 20, and just was going to start a few verses in verse 1. It says, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Menunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming is coming against you from Edom and from beyond the sea. And behold, they are of Hazazon, Tamar, that is in Gede. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat is sitting maybe in his palaces, now you have to remember these are the same palaces that David was in and Solomon was in. This is the royal household. He's sitting and the messengers come running in. Edom, Moab, and the Mennonites, an unknown enemy, is coming. Fear springs into his heart and into his mind and he, he's confronted by a foe that he is not prepared for. It's strange, actually, when you read it and you look at the, the, the enemies that are coming against them. Moab and Ammon, they'd fought them many times and defeated them many times. But the Mennonites, whatever they were, whoever they were, they added another dimension to the enemy. And Jehoshaphat hears the report. And his mind would have gone back to the things that have happened in the past. He would have thought about the enemy. And the scriptures, they're so wonderful because they don't tell us a lot of things. They don't tell us what he actually did militarily. It doesn't tell us that he called for the commanders. It doesn't tell us um, all of the things that the, the army did, the way they drilled. It doesn't tell us all those things. It doesn't even tell us. I love the way it actually includes an unknown enemy. So that we go, oh, hang on. There's something we don't know here. You see, if God was to put all the pieces in place and say, this is the problem exactly, then we would automatically say, okay, if that problem occurs in my life, I know God can deal with it. But whenever he doesn't put all the pieces in place in the description, in the word, when he doesn't fill in all the blanks, and we're faced by an unknown enemy like Jehoshaphat is, we can go, oh, okay, he faced an unknown enemy. What way do I respond to an unknown enemy? I have to respond the way he responded to an unknown enemy. So it's great the way the Bible does that. It's, it, it, it leaves things open uh, to, uh, to, to circumstances and to, to interpretation as our events unfold. So here he is, Jehoshaphat gets the report. His father was a godly king. At the beginning of his career, he sought the Lord and the Lord helped him and the Lord mightily helped him and delivered him. And as time went by though, his father Asa maybe became a bit more confident in what he had. He became a bit more confident in who he was, confident in the strength of his armies, maybe a wee bit more. Confident and wise, worldly wise. It says that whenever they went against Judah, or Israel came down to fortify a city against Judah, that it 
Asa was challenged and he went, he went a bit of savvy about him and he went, I know what I'll do. I'll pay the king of, of Syria, just as was mentioned this morning. I'll pay the king of Syria gold and silver out of the temple. And I'll, do his, I'll get him to attack Israel. Israel withdraws and then I'll be safe. And he had a bit of savvy about him, a bit of worldliness about him, a bit of knowledge about him. Now, jo- Jehoshaphat's in a situation here where he could have done the same thing. Let's be honest. He could have. It wasn't Israel attacking him. It was, uh, uh, the, as I said, the Moabites, the, the Ammonites, and the Mennonites. It was other people attacking him. I can get, maybe I can get Syria on my side. But the scriptures are wonderful. It doesn't say that he made any attempt. He made no attempt to contact those in the north. He never contacted Israel. He never contacted Syria. He never looked for anyone else for help. Fear came to his mind. Fear came to his heart. Whatever the report was detailed to say, fear sprung up, and his first reaction was to seek the face of God, to seek God's hand, to seek God's help. Because the arm of flesh, as we all know, the arm of flesh is a very short arm, and it's not a very strong arm. And it's an arm that will fail over and over again. And it's important for us to know as well, this is one of the things I've been challenged on, that we are the people of God. We are a people not just here to study the Bible. We just don't study the Bible in our own private times, and that's it. We just don't go through motions. We don't do an academic exercise. Either we are the people of God every day, having him living in us, him moving through us, him operating in our lives, helping us, or else we're wasting our time. God has to be God in operation as well as in experience. He has to be more than just some sort of ascent to a higher being. He has to be something that lives in us, something that moves through us, something that operates in our lives. We have got to be careful not to lose the the occurrence and the operation of God, the supernatural in our lives. We can't apologize for it. God supernaturally does things in our lives. He supernaturally saves us. At salvation, we can believe that. We can believe that God will supernaturally save us, but we can't believe he'll do step outside of that. But God is a God of miracles. He's a God who operates on a level beyond us. He's a God who comes and does things beyond our abilities, beyond our comprehension, greater than all the things that we can imagine. He can do things for us. I'm not talking about doing things like, oh, I really want a flashy car. I'm talking he can help us. He can get involved in the nitty gritty, get involved in the details. Here, Jehoshaphat's facing an enemy, a powerful enemy, something that's got the fear in him. If you go back even a few chapters, um, it talks about uh, the army that Jehoshaphat had, and it, it's thousand, sorry, of an army. Now, that was before he had made an alliance with Ahab, and if you remember how that alliance went, where the, the prophet came out and said, oh, I'm going to kill him. You'll be okay because you're not the one I'm after. But Ahab's going to be, you know, it's going to be trouble coming. And it's a case of he didn't go back and, you know, his army's been decimated by defeat, but he's still got a big army. He didn't go, oh, it's all right. You know what? We've got an army. We'll be all right. It said in Second Chronicles 16 there, it says, for the eyes of the Lord, again, this is talking previously, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. This is talking about his father. But this is, a, this is young Jehoshaphat, who was 35 when he came to the throne, had probably spent some time in his father's army. 
I certainly had probably had some time, as is a habit of the, the, the kings of Judah, their, their children would have been involved in leadership and government and, and, and counseling. So he had heard this. He would have heard this. The, this is the prophet, the seer, or the prophet talking to Asa, saying, For the eyes of the Lord drawn to and through throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Asa, you've just relied on the arm of flesh, and I'm not happy. Jehoshaphat, you've got a problem. What are you going to do? I'm going to seek the face of God. Seek God for his intervention. It says, when Jehoshaphat came to power, 2 Chronicles 17, it says, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father, David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments, not according to the practice of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat and he had great riches and honor. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places, the Asherim out of Judah. I love that phrase. He was courageous in the things of God. He was courageous. It says, other translations talks, talk about his heart took great delight in the things of God. He exalted his heart in God's word, in God's being, in everything that, that entailed about being a person of God or being a child of God, being one of the chosen people. He rejoiced in that. We need to rejoice in the fact that we are his children, that we are his. Rejoice in that fact. Exalt in that fact. And I don't mean a selfish thing, but exalt in the fact that he has chosen us. He has put his mark upon us. He has uplifted us. What a wonderful truth to remember tonight. What a wonderful reality. He has lifted us up. Exalt ourselves in him and in what he has done. See, Jehoshaphat knew, knew all too well that I've taken out these groves to these other gods, these pagan gods. He cleared them out, but he knew very well, very well indeed, that a, a generation, these could come back. A few years after taking these down, another generation comes along and these will be reestablished, rebuilt up. The, the pagan cults that I have maybe wiped out with just taken down their shrines, give them a generation and those followers will slowly go back up to the mountains and raise a, 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 the, the, the poles and the statues again. He knew that very well. So he set about a, a plan of reform, a plan to change the hearts of the people. He sent, sent teachers out through the cities to, to bring to them the word of God, to bring to them the law of God, Levites and judges, and he encouraged them to walk godly lives to judge righteously, to be people that they're called to be. He encouraged that in them, to, to live the life that they were called to be. Uh, there's things that happened in the kingdom and happens to, to Jehoshaphat. We're looking at this here attack with these enemies. The simple truth is, good things happen, bad things happen, and it just happens. Bad things happen to good people. He was a good man. He was a godly man. Yes, the truth is, simple truth is, he wasn't the best king. Doesn't tell you anything about his, his, the, the nation, what way the people and the economy was. When you look at his, his efforts with Ahab, disastrous. He went to war with a king who was really under the judgment of God. He joined, he made an alliance with him. He says, we are the same people. I'll go to war with you. Disastrous. He married his son to Athaliah, the daughter of Jezebel. 
Talk about terrible, you know, oh, my word. See all those people who have kids who are dating and stuff like that there. It, you know, just remember, it could be worse. You know, it, it could be worse. His son's married to Athaliah, and his, 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 it has, it's now his son's mother-in-law is Jezebel. My word, talk about a problem in waiting. Even they prepared ships to go out and do merchant ships and get gold and all, and it was wrecked. He, he just, you know, in no sense, he wasn't good. But it, in the sense that the word is talking about here, God is more concerned about the spiritual condition of the king and the nation than he is about their wealth. He's more concerned about how they are before him. Are they the light that I have set on a hill? Are they living that way? Because that's more important to me than whether their pockets are lined with gold and whether their storehouses are full. Yes, don't get me wrong, he's concerned of those things, but he's more concerned about the state of our spirits before him. How are we before him? It's important that we remember the context of these things. We can remember what was going on. God is concerned about us and our relationship with him. Everything that I'm speaking about tonight, this is all relationship stuff. This is all about having a relationship with God. I didn't give him a title, and if I don't, my uh, um, gorgeous wife will remind me vehemently later, or graciously later, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Pastor, remind, Pastor told us that a couple of weeks ago in cell group that your wife's there to keep your feet on the ground and to be your uh, critic. So my, my title for my message tonight is Three Questions That Stir Heaven. I've set the stage. Jehoshaphat was challenged. An enemy had come rushing in. Maybe hadn't even crossed the border, but was on the way. Hooves were, hooves were beaten. So we're going to read on then. We're going to go to 2 Chronicles 20. We're going to go on to verse 5 and read it. This is a wee bit of a long reading, but we're going to read a few verses here. It says, And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, before the new court, and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name in is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. Verse 10. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not astray, destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not ex execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. As I said, he's confronted by an enemy, by a horde. It's descriptive language. By an enemy that, is, that puts fear into his heart, that, that sets him on his heels, we don't know exactly, as I said, who the enemy was other than the names Moab and, and Ammon. And I'm glad he doesn't explain it. 
As I said in the previous chapters, it talks about Jehoshaphat sending teachers and Levites out through the cities and through the countryside to teach people about the things of God, to teach them about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to teach them the, the word of God, we would translate that as now, to teach them about the things of God and about living a godly life and to walking righteously before God. He sent them out throughout the whole land. As I said, he had that terrible alliance with Rahab and he, um, in the efforts to recapture Ramoth Gilead. It was a foolish alliance and he'd been defeated. Maybe the enemies had looked at the nation and gone, oh. It says whenever he had sent out his, his, the Levites and the priests to teach the people, it says that fear fell upon the surrounding nations. The fear of the Lord fell upon them because they all went, oh. This is the, the you know, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know what was going through their heads. I could, I'd fill in the gaps, but I would be taking too much license if I was to do that. I would say, these were the people that came out of Egypt. Oh, remember the God that came out of Egypt with them? They're calling upon his name again. But that would be my license to, to say that. Certainly the fear of the God fell upon them because they were going back to a faith that they weren't familiar with, going back to a God who had clearly established them, who had put them in a land and given them promises and blessings and the fear fell upon them after this uh, wasted endeavor against Ramoth Gilead (laughs) they've been defeated were these nations then exalted do they think to themselves oh I smell blood on the water oh they've been defeated maybe they've fallen out with their God maybe this is our opportunity to get them is that their thinking maybe but they came against them. He, tr- he tried other efforts in the past, and now here he was confronted by a biggest moment in his life. In many ways, this is the spiritual high point of his life, the spiritual moment in which you can start well, but if you don't finish well, you've wasted your time. It's all about how we finish the race. We continue to run to the end. And here he is, Ahab and Jezebel in the north. The troubles around him. He doesn't appeal to anyone for help. He doesn't record him actually in the scriptures and gathering the army, the commanders. It doesn't say those things. It says that he called the people together and he called a fast through the nation. We are the people of God, of the one true and living God. I love that title. The one true and living God. The one true and living God. By implication, the others are not true. By implication, the others are not living. By implication, we are the people of God, the one true and living God. It is important that we, just as Jehoshaphat did here, we keep God in the equation of our lives. As I said at the beginning, we're not here just to go through exercises, just to prove some sort of faithfulness and, and maybe religious feelings. We are the people of God. We have to have an interaction with God, a movement of God in our lives, a point at which something inside of us is stirred up and challenged by God and fed by God and and in communion with God. We so quickly allow the spiritual aspect of our lives to, to fade and to become secondary to some sort of academic exercises. But we need God in our lives. We need God in our communities. We need God in our nation. We need God in our world. The alliances weren't going to help him and the army wasn't going to help him. 
He said, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming upon us. Jehoshaphat was a godly king. He knew it's important to call out to God, call out to God in our moment of need, in our moment of distress, call out to God and get him involved, call out to God whenever things, are, maybe we could do a wee bit, I could get the army together, they could polish their armor, that, that's all nice and right and honorable, and maybe he did those things, but first and foremost, as the scriptures record that he called out to God, he called out to the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God, the one true and living God, he called out to God, get him involved. See, Jehoshaphat, it said actually in Second Chronicles 17, said Jeho- the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father, David. What are you facing tonight? What is happening in your life? What is coming upon you? Do you face a mountain, an enemy, a giant, something that's going on? This is a, I have to confess, this is maybe a, a recurring theme, but it's something that we do with, deal with every day. It's something that we face every day. Each one of us face something, something going on that we can't deal with, that we can't quite deal with easily in our own ability. Something's coming against us that we can't quite deal with. Fear springs up in our hearts and our minds like that as soon as we hear the mention of that problem. Something that we can't put into, we can't solve ourselves. And there is issues like that. If we say to ourselves, there's nothing like that in my life, we're deceiving ourselves. We are deceiving ourselves to believe that we are able to do it all. You know what? I've got it sorted. I can solve all my problems. I only need Jesus and God for the other side. And if we think that we don't have a, a, an enemy coming against us, whether that is us corporately as a church or whether that's individually as people of God, if we think we don't have an enemy that's going to be overwhelming, an enemy that's going to create in us a feeling of fear, our, our imagination will run wild. If we think that'll never happen, you know what? We're in for a surprise because there's things out there. The enemy knows us better than we know ourselves. And it's important that we stir up those thoughts of God and the word of God and we seek his hand, even whenever the things are going well, but especially, especially we should seek him whenever things are going wrong. We shouldn't be the type of people who get to the point in our lives where we think, okay, something's gone wrong. Well, you know what? I haven't quite been living as holy a life as I should have. I really know that I should have been reading the word more. I should have been praying. I should have been at the prayer meeting. I know those things, so I, I can't quite seek God right away. You know what? That's your pride. Something happens to you. Something goes on in our lives that creates fear in us, that makes us question our very walk with God. We should seek his face first thing. Run to him. Run to him quicker than you can run anywhere else. He knows us. He already knows where we're at. He knows what our spiritual condition is, but we know the one who has the answer. We shouldn't run away from him or hide from him. We should run to him as quick as anything. Seek him while he may yet be found. Pursue him. Here, Jehoshaphat is faced by an enemy and his first thought is, I need the Lord. I need God on my side. I need God's intervention because I can't deal with it. We should run as fast as we can. We need to do that. We need to ask these three questions that'll stir up in us the same sort of faith, the same sort of results, hopefully. So we'll jump down to the first question. The first, second, and third question Are you not 
Did you not and will you not? The first question there, are you not God in heaven? It's important to me notice where he was at this time. He had gathered, it says there in that scriptures, that he had gathered the people. In verse 5, he stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. He'd come to that place that was familiar to him in his interactions with God. He came to that place that was specific with meeting God. He gathered there. Now, I'm not necessarily just saying that we in our triumph and our times of hardships and our come, to, we, we just think, okay, I can only see God in church because it, we know that we live in, you know, remember Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well? We no longer worship in this mountain, but now we worship him in spirit and in truth. But the idea is that we can come to him where we are and where he is. And for him, he needed to come to the temple, to the new court, to the place that he associated with God. If you read back actually into the, the previous chapters, previous, I'm not even going to look back where it is. It's not even the previous chapters, it's way back. But whenever Solomon's dedicating the temple and he's praying before the, the people at the opening of the grand temple and he's praying, it says, when your people go to war against their enemies, wherever you send them, and when, the, when they pray to the Lord toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. This place had a special significance in the spiritual religious mindset of the people of Judah and even of Israel, even though they were in, walking in total backslidden condition, but it had a place of significance. I'm coming before God. I'm coming before the God of the universe, coming into this holy place. It was down actually with David and a few others down at the, the Jewish synagogue a few uh, last year, uh, dear sakes, um, a Jewish synagogue, and it was a fascinating experience. But over the over the, the behind the pulpit where the what we would call pulpit, where the, there was the words written in Hebrew, and it says, "Be mindful before whom you come. Be mindful before whom you come." And I'm not saying that in a way that should it should engender fear or anything like that there, but remember before who you're coming. Are you not God in heaven? Are you not God in heaven? This is a considered approach. He came before the temple into the new court with the people. We don't know which people, but all of, as many people as they could get into that court, they were getting them in. They were in there cheek by jowl, as they say. Are you not God in heaven? He was exalting God in his mind through his eyes when he seen the temple, but he was exalting God in his mind and in his spirit, exalting God, lifting him up, directing his prayer and supplication towards the God of heaven. Are you not God in heaven? God who is not man that he should lie. Praise the Lord. He's not a man who's of limited ability. He's not a man with limited resources. He's not a man that would deceive us. He's not a man who would have all the best intentions of the world and not the ability to fulfill what is needed. He's not a man with limited avenues through which to answer our prayer. We cannot limit him. Are you not God in heaven? He's not a man who is short of time. I've got to do it. I'll help you, but I'll only do it now while I've got a chance. I've got to be somewhere by two o'clock. He's not a man who's limited by his time. He's not a man of limited dimensions who can only reach so far, only hear so much, and only see so much, only do so much. He is God because no one else is more powerful. Are you not God in heaven? Are you not God in heaven? Praise the Lord. 
He, the, the problem has arisen. You know what? I need to fast. I need to pray. Are you not God in heaven? What do we face today? What do we face this week? There are giants out there. There are things coming against us. Some of us are all too aware of them. But are you not God in heaven? I'm not going to focus on the fear. I'm going to feed my faith. Are you not God in heaven? Did you not? Are you not God in heaven? The creator of all things. We're not coming to some sort of, you know, you know, vaporous, gaseous, nebulous nothing. We're coming before the God of heaven, the very God who flung stars into space, the very God who created this earth that we walk upon, the very God of heaven, the God whose ability and resources go beyond our imaginations. Look at the stars and the universe and the galaxies and the things that God has created. Look at the lives that God has changed, the things that he has done. Are you not God in heaven? Woo! The God of infinite resources, the God in that place of perfect abundance and plenty and supply. Are you not God in heaven? I've got a problem, but are you not God in heaven? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Are you not God in heaven? The first and the last, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. Praise your Lord God. You know what? I was thinking this morning, I was thinking about this message. You know, I was thinking to myself, I really, really want to praise God. I really want to praise God. And then I thought to myself, no, I need to praise God. I need to glorify him. I need to lift him up. Just as what Jehoshaphat's doing here, he's lifting God up. Are you not God in heaven? Glory to God. I need to praise you because by praising you, I exalt you in my mind. I exalt you in my heart. David actually says in in the scriptures, um, he says, why art cast down, O my soul? Why art you disquieted for within me. Hope thou in God. Hope thou in God. Praise the Lord. Lift it up. I need to praise God. You need to praise God. You need to build God up in your life. Build him up. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. As was mentioned this morning, this is one of the weapons that God has given us against the enemy. One of the weapons that he has given us to build us up, to use us in his, in his kingdom. Praise God. Are you not God in heaven? Oh, yes. He's God in heaven. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. We used to sing it years ago. I'm sure Clifford's thinking it now. What a mighty God we serve. The angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. Glory to God. Are you not God in heaven? It's a message we all need to hear. We need to remind ourselves. Keep the enemies coming. No, no, we don't need to remind ourselves of that. Are you not God in heaven? Is nothing impossible for you. Praise your Lord God. Praise your Lord God. What is the problem we're facing today, this week? Are you not God in heaven? What has the doctor said? What has the bank manager said? What has your boss said? What has the lawyer said? What has your family said? What has your body said to you? What has your mind said to you? How have they engendered things that are negative or fearful? Are you not God in heaven? Are you not God in heaven? Can we not cry out to you, O God? Can we not cry out to you, the God of the universe, the God who created all things, who sustains all things, the God who is magnificent, who holds the whole earth in the palm of his hand? God of majesty and all glory. Can we not come before him? These people who were coming against him were nothing 
compared to the God of heaven, compared to his power and his might that are in his hand. No one can withstand him. No one can outperform him. No one can do what needs to be done in our lives. Sometimes only he can deal with the problems we face. And it's important to remember it. Remember Jesus talking to the disciples, Matthew 19. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. We used to believe that. We used to believe that. We used to preach about that. We used to sing about that. We used to proclaim it. With God, all things are possible. We need to get back to that. With God, all things are possible. God can do all things. Anything in our lives that needs to be changed, that needs to be solved, that needs to be fixed, that needs to be saved from, he can do it. He can do all things. He can do all things in our lives. See, Jehoshaphat is building his faith in God, building the faith in those around him because he's proclaiming this loudly for everyone to hear. He might have had his faith up here, but I'm sure other people's faith wasn't quite so high. It's important that we praise God. Are you not God in heaven? And it's important that those around us hear that as well. Because I might, I might not be facing a giant today, but the person next to me might. The person next to me might be at the end of their leash. They might be at the end of their tether and they might need to hear, praise you, Lord. So are you not? Next one we come to is, did you not? Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? See, Jehoshaphat's now changed gear. He's magnifying the greatness of God as creator of all things, the great God of the universe. But now he's getting very specific. He's getting right down to where the rubber hits the road. He's getting right down to where they are. Are you not God of this people? Are you not the God of Abraham, your friend? You give this land to him and his seed. It's a great verse in Isaiah 43, it's verse 26. It says, put me in remembrance. Let us argue together, set forth your case that you may be proved right. This is God talking to the people. Now, He's saying, put me in remembrance. He's not being sarcastic. You plead your case and I'll hear you, but you know you're wrong. He's not doing that at all. See, God takes great delight whenever we remind him and remind ourselves about what he has done. You know, God, you have done so much for us. You have helped us in so much in the past. You have been there whenever no one else was there. You have done what no one else could do. Lord, you have done so much for us. He, became, he reminded God of, what God of God's special relationship with the people. And it's important that we remember to do that as well. Did you not give this land to your people? Did you not promise never to leave us nor forsake us? Did you not place your hand over us? Did you not show us mercy in days gone by? Did you not make us a peculiar people, different from all of the nations around us? Did you not give us your word and set us on a hill to be an example and be the light of the nations? Did you not set your love upon us? Here this enemy has come and it's it's all hands to battle stations and we can't defeat this enemy. We know that you are God of the universe. 
Now, Lord, we're reminding ourselves that you are God of us. You're our God. You've put us in a special position with you. We have a special relationship with you. It's mentioned, whenever he mentions Abraham, the friend of God, you know, it's always highlighting a special relationship with him. How much more do we have a special relationship with him? A peculiar relationship through his son, Jesus, who came and shed his blood for us, to pay the price for us. Are we not his people? In those times of trouble, can we not call out upon him? Has he helped us in the past? Has he been there for us? Has he established us? God has delivered us and saved us in the past. He's done something in us. You know, this enemy that they were facing, this enemy sometimes we face, sometimes it can appear like a huge mountain. It can appear indomitable. There's a word for you. My wife's going to ask me, where did you get that word from? It's going to appear undefeatable. Better. It's going to appear insurmountable. I had a dictionary earlier. It's going to appear like we cannot get past this enemy. But if you really consider what he's done for us at Calvary, how he transformed us as individuals from the life we were living, from the circumstances we were living in, people who were delivered from lives that were lost in alcohol and drugs. Not all of us have been delivered from those, but, but people who've been transformed, lives transformed, set on a path. God has done so much for us snatched from the very jaws of hell. Are you not God of heaven? And are you not our God? Are you not our God? And the third one we come to is, will you not? He says, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this horde, great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you the cry of his heart. Will you not help, O oh God? Will you not be there for us? Will you not be there when we need you? Will you not step into the gap and do what we cannot do? Will you not be, do something, Lord? Will you not be there? There's nothing wrong with crying out to God. Nothing wrong with it at all. Jehoshaphat came in humility before the temple. He came in, in humility as the king with the people. He gathered before the temple in the court and he said, will you not? You're God of heaven, you're our God, but will you not help us? Will you not get involved in what we're involved with? Will you not come and fight this great horde for us? Will you not deliver us from them? Will you not help? See, God responds to that type of faith. The person who comes to God in humility, in need, acknowledging who he is and what he can do, he responds to that kind of faith. He responds to that. He responds. He's promised he'll respond. Will you not help? Will you not? That cry of help, cry for help. Help us, O oh God. It's not good enough just to have a problem because we have to acknowledge him. He is the one who can help us. And he's the one who's willing to help us. We need to, we need to cry out to him. Whenever we're in need, whenever we're facing something, as many of us are, cry 
prayer to God. Are you not God of the heavens? Did you not help us in the past? Put your love upon us. Set us aside. Put your hope in us. Give us a song, that, Lord, that makes all the difference. Did you not do those things for us? Will you not now, oh God, get involved? Get involved in the nitty-gritty. Will you not help us, Lord? Will you not get involved? Where do you find yourself tonight? What enemy is ahead of you? What problem is there? Is fear building itself in your heart and in your mind? Is it trying to drown out every other voice that you hear? Is it trying to steal your joy, steal your peace, steal your happiness, steal those things that God has given us? Confidence in God's ability. Has fear overwhelmed any of those things? Has doubt, uncertainty? Isn't he still the God who helps? Still the God who gets involved? As we go on down in the chapter and get to Second, uh, Second Chronicles 20, I'm not even going to read all this because it was a bit of a roll call. It says, Meanwhile, uh, 13 to 17, if you're writing notes around, Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat, thrown in as an afterthought. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up this, in this certain way, and you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Can you see them standing there with their little ones? Fear had drove them to this place, but it was faith that kept them there. Lord, are you not the God of the universe? Did you not do for us? Will you not help us, Lord? Will you not get involved? Will you not be involved in everything? And God says, don't worry. I'm here. Don't worry. I've got it all under control. Don't worry. Don't let fear overwhelm you. What a, what a picture. What a picture. Don't be afraid. It's okay. You, you know me. You know what I've done. You know what I'm able to do. You know what I'm willing to do. Don't be afraid. I've got it under control. That's a mighty God. That is a mighty God. What a Savior. What a Lord. What a wonderful, wonderful reality. He is God of the universe, and yet he cares for me. And yet he cares about all the details he cares about all that we're going through. He cares about everything. And nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible for him. Nothing, nothing. What a God. What a mighty God. Praise you, Lord God in heaven, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. 
praise you, Lord. God, praise you, Lord. Lord, in heaven, we glorify you, Lord. Praise you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 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 Praise you, Lord God in heaven, Lord. Praise you, Lord God in heaven. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glorify you, Lord. Glorify you, Lord. We praise you, Lord God in heaven, Lord. We praise you, Lord God in heaven, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that nothing is impossible for you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are able to save to the uttermost. Thank you, Lord, that you're willing to be involved, Lord. God, we glorify you. We praise you, Lord God, in heaven, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for your promises to us. We thank you, Lord, for your word in our hearts, Lord. We thank you, dear God, in heaven, that you're greater, that, that you are in us than he who is in the world, Lord. We thank you, dear God, in heaven, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We praise you and we glorify you. Thank you, Lord God, that you're there, Lord, when we need you. That you're there, Lord God, in heaven when the enemy comes rushing in. We thank you, dear God, in heaven that you're able, well able. My God is able to deal with anything that comes against us. We thank you, dear God, in heaven, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord God, in heaven that you step in, Lord. When we can't do it, Lord, you step in and you say, you've got it covered. I've got it all covered. Praise you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, that the battle is not ours, it is yours. We thank you, dear God, in heaven, Lord, for your intervention in the circumstances of our lives, Lord. We thank you, dear God, in heaven, Lord, that you know about what each of us are going through this week and next week and next month and whatever, Lord. You know what we're facing, O oh God. We thank you, dear God, in heaven, that you know the details. You know the enemy that has come upon us, Lord. You know, Lord, that the hour is approaching, Lord God, in which there will cross the border into our land, Lord. But dear God, in heaven, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you're well able, well able to deal with the problems that face us, well able to face this, deal with this enemy that faces us, Lord. We thank you, dear God, in heaven for your freedom, Lord God, for your deliverance, Lord God. We thank you, dear God, in heaven for your grace, for your mercy, for your strength, Lord God. We thank you for your hope, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you put a song in our hearts. We thank you, dear God, in heaven for who you are and for what you mean to us, Lord. You've done a mighty work in our lives, Lord, and we glorify you and we praise you, Lord God, in heaven. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.